There's an exclusive club out there that boasts some of the most famous musicians and artists the world has ever known. It's an elusive and highly competitive club that members are dying to get into, but no one is aspiring to get into. Oh, come on, Eric. (laughs) It's been dubbed the 27 Club. Its membership boasts notable figures in the entire world that all die mysteriously upon reaching the magical age of 27. The idea of the 27 got its notability in the early 70s with members like Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, and Janis Joplin. However, if you dig deeper, it spans back far beyond and is still going strong. The club only seemingly to broaden its membership, now not only to musicians, but actors and even sports figures and athletes, stretching its shadowy arms to grasp whomever might make a deal with some who speculate could be the crossroads demon for fame, fortune, or talent in exchange for their soul. Join us tonight as we take a walk to the crossroads to understand the elusive and bizarre 27 Club. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Now, before we get too far into this one, I do want to say that we're going to talk about people who have problems, uh, drug abuse, and, and we're going to reference suicide. So if you are dealing with any of these issues, Again, we always want to put this disclaimer on there. You know, absolutely, there are, there are resources out there. You know, there there are people that want to help you. The suicide hotline, drug drug addiction centers, you know, all sorts of resources to. There are other the possibilities worst. and solutions. Absolutely. So, so please take time to to look into those kind of things. You know, again, I don't. I mean, what do they say now? Trigger warning. So trigger we're gonna, warning. We're going to talk about some things. Well, this is not. You know, a comprehensive, complete list of what some would consider all 27 club members. Uh, I can't speak for Bill, but in my own research, I focus mostly on the uh, music-related deaths for the most part. However, if you want to add in actors, wrestlers, athletes, I mean, the list can exponentially grow. I looked at people from all types of celebrities, so I do have some sports people and actors, uh, specifically you know, I, I did want to talk about Anton Yelchin and his story because whereas a lot of these people, you know, they they died tragically, let's be honest, a lot of them did it to themselves in the end. Yeah, absolutely. But like, then you have like Anton Yelchin who died in just this freak accident, which I'll talk about when we get kind of later on. My list, of course, because I'm this guy, is <laughs> sorted chronologically, so I go through there. That's the but, way I did mine, too. But yeah, you have this, this 27 Club, and I remember... I think I first heard about it, of course, with Kurt Cobain. Yeah. I was... Uh, I was kind of the second rebirth, I guess you would say. You know, you had Jimmy I mean, and Jim Morrison, and that yeah. was kind of the first, and then... I think Kurt Cobain brought it back, if yes. you will. And then, of course, since Kurt Cobain has passed, there have been several artists that have passed. And again, my list isn't comprehensive either. I sort of stuck to people that I knew or that had, you know, that were probably better known. There's definitely a lot. There was a like a K-pop star that died not that long ago. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I'm not into K-pop. So. Well, yeah, I found some, like, to prove that it's not just, you know, in England or, or the UK or, or America. I mean, the Philippines, Japan, China, you can you can find the 27 club members all over. But as Bill said, some of those I, I simply had never heard of. No offense, but, I mean, I think most of our listeners are, are here in the United States. So that's kind of where I tried to hold close. Being the historian of the group, I, I went back and what I think is the first member, uh, if you want to say the founding member, might be uh, Alexander Levy. Uh, he was born in 1864 and died in 1892. You know, he's obviously not the first to die at age 27. However, Alexander Levy is probably certainly one of the best with some international notoriety being remembered in this elusive club. Brazilian composer and pianist, uh, most considered to be the founding member of the 27 Club. Contemporary critics put in the same class as such greats as even Mozart. Uh, he started composing music at the young age of eight. And on January 17, 1892, at the age of 27, he reported feeling ill. Within a very short time, death claimed him with doctors attributing it to a cerebral conjection and cardiac arrest. To this day, in Brazil, his home country, a living trust still exists in his name. Now, see, I have a different first member. His name did come up, and mine is a little bit after that. So, you know, we want to proceed timeline-wise. Yes. Blues musician Robert Johnson, who died in 1938. He was born in rural Mississippi, and he was largely unknown in his own time. I love this story. He was later rediscovered in the 1960s. Now, according to legend, Johnson sold his soul in exchange for his great talent, which he showed on street corners throughout the Mississippi Delta. Now, he recorded 29 songs between 1936 and 1937. Many were chilling folkloric songs about things like hellhounds and the devil and and just general despair. Me and the devil blues and crossroads blues. Now, uh, his songs have been covered by the likes of Cream, Captain Beefheart, and the Rolling Stones. And of course, you know, like any musician, and we talked about this earlier, we touched on this, the man was partial to women and whiskey and Sometimes the combination of the two gets a man in trouble. (laughs) He made the moves on the wife of a roadhouse owner where he was playing and then was offered an open bottle of whiskey from someone who he, you know, he drank from it. He was a whiskey man and he died three days later on August 16th, 1938 of strychnine poisoning and pneumonia. Wow. Imagine that. They think the club owner poisoned him. Messing around with his wife. Messing around with his wife. What we have is sort of the beginning of this selling your soul for talent. And, and the first mention of the crossroad yeah. demon, the packs with the devil. So and- I went back a little bit. Now, of course, the crossroads demon lore, if you watch Supernatural, it's like every other episode. <laughs> but, you know, there is this belief all the way back. Was it uh, in Faust? I think he wrote about the crossroads devil that mm-hmm. would you could go and, and you could exchange your immortal soul in, you know, for talent or knowledge or whatever. Yep. Now, of course, it was alleged that the Johnson traded his soul to the devil in exchange for blues talent and and there there's actually a documentary entitled devil at the crossroads the story of i watched robert johnson good story good story but while living on plantation in rural mississippi he wanted to become what he called a great blues man and so at some point he was instructed to take his guitar to the crossroads near dockery plantation at midnight now this is a quote from the story i'm not trying to you know imply anything but there he met a large black man who was alleged to be the devil. Now, the devil took the guitar from Robert Johnson, and he tuned it a little bit and plucked a couple notes, and the devil the devil played a few more songs there, a little bit on it, and then he returns the guitar to Robert Johnson. And in that exchange, Robert Johnson was given mastery of the instrument in exchange for his soul. 
And so in exchange for soul, Johnson became the great blues man that he had always dreamed of. Now, of course, this story ends at age 27 for Robert Johnson when he dies under, you know, tragic circumstances. And so that implication, at least with Robert Johnson, is, of course, that he traded his his soul for talent. Other musicians on this list who have tragically died, you know, um, I'm not trying to say they all sold their soul to the devil, but it's, you know, is that what's going on? I mean, I know that's this sort of the, the legend. Of that part of the legend. Absolutely. Now. I'm going to rewind you a little bit there. Go back a year before his death, a year and a half. This young man, you know, again, as a struggling musician, especially the blues, there's only a certain number, especially during that time frame that of places yeah. you can play. He was actually almost ran out of town because people that they interviewed later said he was so horrible playing <laughs> the guitar. He, in the um, biography story, uh, it actually talks about him going into this tavern where a lot of the blues players played. And he was like basically filling in like the band would be up there. They'd take a break and he'd just jump up on stage and try to you know take over the show. Not that he even had anything planned with the <laughs> owner or anything. And people would say, we will pay you to stop playing. You are so bad. So this this transition from being terrible to great in a period they say of one year and ironically after that incident i mean whose feelings wouldn't be hurt let's <laughs> let's be honest he left town mysteriously was gone they said right at one year and returns he has an extra string that he is now connected somehow to his guitar so he's playing an extra string and he has this one of the glass slides that is now very typical with with the blues music but from what i understand He's one of the first ones that kind of birthed that into it. And he goes back into the same place where these same musicians were that mocked him and laughed at him. And these guys were considered almost like the scholarly blues musicians of the day. And he just takes up on the stage and starts playing. And they said, it's a totally different person. There is no way anyone could have learned how to, at best, mediocrely play to jaws dropping maybe he was just a prodigy and in that year he learned so much well they said in that period of a year he actually traveled up north and met up with another blues great by the name of ike zimmerman now ike was kind of an odd duck you know robert johnson told him the story of basically how he was shamed and ran out of town uh, figuratively and and he says well why they said they offered me money to stop playing i i sucked so <laughs> bad they offered me money to stop playing and he says well you know how to fix that don't you and you know young robert johnson was like no how and he goes let's go to the cemetery and that's where we'll practice see i did find that that they had, that that part of, that may be part of this this lore was from them practicing in the cemetery. So can so. you imagine late at night, somebody up here walking around and I hear this blues, <laughs> eerie music, glass slides coming from the cemetery. But uh, supposedly, as the, the legend goes, Ike Zimmerman instructed uh, young Robert Johnson and they played. It sounded like at the very least weekly, if not multiple times every week at the cemetery. And of course, Ike laughed and he goes, these people won't laugh at you. And if anything, they're going to appreciate you because you come to visit them and put a concert on for them. So to me, I think that just added a lot to the story. But yeah, he returns a year later and, and jaws are just dropping and everybody's <laughs> like, there's no way anybody could have learned to improve that much. Now, obviously, he went on to inspire people such as, you know, as you said, Muddy Waters, Elmore James, Chuck Berry. Uh, he's now often known as the godfather of rock and roll. 
uh, with even Elvis Presley taking inspiration from his style. Now, there is a little bit of confusion about where the body of Mr. Johnson might reside. There is one in particular that's considered uh, the Little Zion Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. It's considered most likely to be the resting place. However, there are two other locations within probably a 50-mile radius. One even has a large uh, epitaph that was put up uh, by, I think it was Columbia Records, about 10, 15 years ago. And ironically, it's at a, you know, the third different site. So there's a little confusion about where, what cemetery he may be visiting well, to uh, plays blues music at. I mean, he's, he's a... A poor black man in the forties or thirties. Thirties, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not surprising that that maybe you know he didn't get the best funeral. Now, I think you said that you had a couple that came before this. I think I might have jumped the gun on you a little bit. Uh, that's right. Again, the the historian of the group. I went back and I, I found a what I would call the second member. Uh, that was uh, Louis Chavon. Now we traveled to the U.S. to find the first member of the Twenty Seven Club, known as the King of the Ragtime Players. He was an early composer of the ragtime music, being born in 1881 and dying in 1908, again at that magical age of 27. He's buried a little uh, closer home to us, up in St. Louis, Missouri, at the Calvary Cemetery. There are no known recordings to listen to his music. However, his work is featured in hit movies such as The Sting 2 and Scott Joplin, the movie. Death was uh, reported to be due to starvation due to being in a coma with multiple sclerosis. What a way to what a way to go. Yuck. Third one I had down was Myrtle Gonzalez, buried at the Calvary Cemetery in East Los Angeles, California. This would be uh, what would be considered the first Hispanic member of the 27 Club, as well as one of the first famous Hispanic actors uh, or actresses of her time. She started singing in about 1918 when she made her way into the silent film era. She appeared in some 80 films with her career. That's quite an accomplishment. And she was described as the white lily of the screen. She fell victim to the 1918 flu pandemic where some 50 million people worldwide would die. So again, you know, getting into, do you believe in the curse? Do you not believe in the curse? I mean, obviously we had some major issues. The 1918 flu epidemic took 50 million people's lives. Well, one, some would argue, well, she was just one of those. Well, and I think... Okay, I think you and I had this conversation back in the early days of COVID, and that history doesn't necessarily repeat, but sometimes it rhymes. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, mm-hmm. the 1920s, you have this, this what was it, Spanish flu, I think? Spanish flu, and influenza. And we don't want to, you know, disparage the Spanish, but <laughs> that's what they called it. <laughs> I can't help that. It was dubbed back then. We didn't, uh, we didn't and then, that. you know, in the 2020, we have, you know, the whole coronavirus thing, which we all are still dealing with at this yeah. point. So, yeah, I mean, again, you, you, you want to say it's a shame these people died at 27, but, I mean, it seemed like a lot of people were dying at that point in time, and she just happened to be one of those people. Now, I will say there was some scientific uh, data that was put together uh, years back looking at, in particular, uh, musicians and artists to see if there was a scientific explanation or even proving that more of them died at the age of 27 as opposed to age 30 or 20 or whatever. There was no data correlation whatsoever. It did not show that huge spike that you might look for at age 27 as being a high peak of when a lot of them pass away. So it's kind of a coincidence. If I remember correctly, I think the peak, actually, if you look at it, is in in like 51 or 52 or something like that. Right. I think I saw some some details on the same study. That that makes sense to me because, again, 
I hate to stereo label, but I mean, a lot of, a lot of people in that art form are known for alcohol abuse, drug abuse. And at that age, your body begins to kind of catch up if you've done that a lot. So I'll move on to, uh, you know, what I considered number four, of course, was Robert Johnson that we already talked about. My number five is Jesse Belvin. He was born in 1932 and died in 1960. Um, he resides at the Evergreen Cemetery, Los Angeles, California, in Section G. You might not recognize his name, but surely most of you might remember the song Earth Angel, which he co-wrote and performed with the group called The Penguins. The song's popularity was revitalized with the movie Back to the Future. Uh, he was a talented musician and songwriter in his own right as well, but his life was cut short due to a car accident in Hope, Arkansas, which was in 1960. It claimed the life of not only him, but his wife, Joanne. Now, Belvin had just performed in the very first multiracial concert in Little Rock, Arkansas, just hours before the tragic car accident. Now, during the performance, several white supremacists slurred racial hatred uh, towards the performer on stage. According to the investigators, uh, the couple had left Little Rock, got a short distance away into Hope, Arkansas, where they were killed in a head-on collision. Now, to add a little bit more intrigue to this, there was apparent evidence that the brake lines and or tires had been tampered with, most likely by one of the protesters at the concert earlier that night. Jesse was, of course, age 27, and his wife, slightly younger, Joanne, was 23. And then I think that brings us into uh, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, which Bill has. Yeah, now, the 27 Club officially starts with this next batch of you know, unfortunately, young folks that, that were tragically lost. And so this is where, like I said, the 27 Club sort of starts here. Now, you start looking back at famous musicians and the time they died, then, yeah, you find you find the earlier examples, like I said, Robert Johnson and then but the it, folks you talked the, about. The pieces of the puzzle weren't really there yet. But this, this is kind of where it started. So between 1969 and 71, we lost a handful of musicians for various reasons. You know, sort of unexpectedly, and they all died at the age of 27. I think there were four or five here. And and so, like you said, Brian Jones, one of the original founding members of the Rolling Stones. Yes. So, I mean, obviously this guy had a career path, right? Like, the Stones are still going on today. Yeah, a super so. talent. Now, unfortunately for Brian, he developed a severe substance abuse problem, and it started to take its, its toll on his health by the mid-60s, landed him in jail, and then alienated him from his bandmates. And they eventually forced him out of the group in 1969. Now, he's found dead July 3rd, 1969, at the bottom of his own swimming pool. And police reported that he had drowned while under the influence. Now, recent evidence, however, suggests that there may have been foul play involved. And Keith Richards himself has said, and quote, And still the mystery of his death hasn't been solved. I don't know what happened, but there was some nasty business going on. Hmm. So Keith Richards even suspected that maybe it wasn't, you know, Something a little bit more than an accidental drug overdose. Now, one thing I did like about Brian Jones that that stuck in my mind of what you might remember him for is if you didn't already remember him for a founding member of the Rolling Stones, was he played the sitar. That was that weird-shaped guitar in the song Fade to Black that does that opening. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And if you are into music at all, I mean, that is a staple in, in music. So, he, yeah, he's the guy in the background sitting there playing this. It's called a sitar, uh, oversized kind of barrel-looking guitar that's right in that fade to black. And, I mean, it just kind of brings goosebumps to you when you hear that. 
So, of course, next on the list is uh, Jimi Hendrix. And and we don't need to go into a lot of detail on Jimi Hendrix. If you don't know who Jimi Hendrix is and you're a music fan. You're not I mean, a music fan. <laughs> um, and, and I'll admit, like, you know, not the biggest Jimi Hendrix fan. Right. But you have to appreciate what the guy could do with a guitar. Man, he could play. So, known as one of the greatest electric guitarists of all time. He had a brief but stellar four-year career. What most people don't realize, Jimi Hendrix is technically a one-hit wonder. Yeah. He had one top ten song ever, and then that was it. And you think of Jimi Hendrix, and you think, well, this guy's just like a master of the art. He's the celebrity, and and really one of, like like I said, one of the greatest one-hit wonders of all time. Uh, now, he died in London on September 18th, 1970, due to asphyxia due to drug use. Now, stories vary, of course, you know, these celebrities and... and, and you know, the drug culture of the time. It It's not sure, like, did he take this? Did he take that? The story that I heard that I think was repeated most often was he took an entire fistful of sleeping pills to go to bed and then was already under the influence and apparently threw up in his sleep and because of the sleeping pills was unable to wake up and his girlfriend had apparently done the same thing. She'd taken a bunch of these sleeping pills, so she slept through it. Uh, again, I mean, tragedy. It's right. just a combination of, of unfortunate circumstances. Again, as you said, he really had a short span, but man, did did he touch the world was with it, that, that short that span. iconic recording of the national anthem at the at uh, Woodstock, Woodstock Festival. And he played part of that with his teeth, Yeah, and the guitar was at least at some point on fire. Yeah. yeah I mean, that no. was Jimi Hendrix. The guy, yeah, and then again, just amazing career. But, Purple Haze, of yeah. course, that was probably the song best known in, in his album, well, Electric Ladyland. All Along the Watchtower is the one that oh, I yeah. have. Yep. Um, and to be honest, you know, a little bit of a nerd here, but, you know, Battlestar Galactica, they used his music as the indicator that you were a Cylon. I for did whatever not reason. realize that. The the lyrics of, of All Along the Watchtower. Okay, spoiler for a TV show that's like 15 years old now. <laughs> But yeah, all, all along the Watchtower was the song the Cylons would hear in their head. And when they got together, they realized they were all hearing the same song. Wow. And that indicated they were Cylons. So. Jimmy was calling. Now, I did have one before Jimmy. Okay. This one I wasn't as familiar with, but um, I, I thought he, he needed to at least be mentioned. Uh, it was Alan Wilson. He was also called Alan Blind Al Wilson. His resting place is actually, uh, for his ashes, is the Sequoia National Park in 1970. He was a rock and blues musician, like many of those before him that we've talked about, probably best known for co-founding the band Canned Heat. The group formed in 1965, where uh, Brian was the principal songwriter, guitar player, and the frontman. The group was best known for such songs as On the Road Again and Going Up the Country, performing all across the U.S., including at legendary Woodstock. On the road again? On the road again. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure you would have heard uh, going up the country. Yeah. I mean, that's a song that was probably as best known that they were known for. So I'm going to say this. We don't, we, we don't need to sing. We don't. Need we're to not sing. professionals sorry, here. Sorry. I'm, I'm not going to quit my day job. <laughs> uh, in September 1970, he was scheduled to travel to Germany to go on tour with the group, but missed his flight. And was soon found dead in his sleeping bag camping on a hill in Tapaganga Canyon. Now, his cause of death was due to an accidental drug overdose. Yet again, here we see this repetitive quite often. He was a passionate uh, conservationist and a lover of nature and all the outdoors. That's why his ashes were spread among the giant sequoia trees of California. So next on my list here is Janis Joplin. Yes. Texas born. Janice won over the San Francisco music scene with her bluesy vocals and powerful stage presence. 
Now, of course, she, like the rest of these folks, she suffered with addiction. And, and I think that's just, at the time, it's a side effect of the fame, the money, you know, the exposure, the, the, you know, again, drug culture, what it was at that point in time. You had, it was just there. Well, a lot of times people ended up taking things. They didn't even know what they were taking. She fell into drugs, I think, early on. She had quite a tragic life. Uh, well, yeah. And, in, and her, in her high school book, she was voted the ugliest boy. Wow. Boy. I did not find that. So they were implicating that she was such an ugly woman that she looked like a boy and she was an ugly boy. I mean, yeah. just cruel. Despite multiple efforts throughout her life to free herself of addiction, she never quite conquered that demon. Uh, be- became increasingly addicted as her career you know, took off, you know, as her star was rising, so was her addiction problems. And she died of an overdose on October 4th, 1970. Well, she started the group uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company, uh, and where her unique voice simply just stole the shows. Uh, it was quickly figured out that uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company wasn't even referred to the group anymore. It was Janice Joplin's group, which kind of caused a little bit of a, a riff. So she went on into her solo career. Uh, which she had much better, you know, great success. She recorded such songs as Be Me and Bobby McGee and A Piece of My Heart, uh, at which time uh, she was invited, like many others before her in the 27 Club, to perform again at Woodstock Music Festival. Now, as you said, on October 4th, 1970, she was found dead of a heroin overdose in room 105 of the Landmark Motor Hotel, which has now been renamed to the Hollywood Gardens Hotel. And you can stay in the room that Janis Joplin passed away in. And finally, as part of this group, you have Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison was a poet, avid reader of philosophy, and founding member, lead singer, and lyricist for The Doors. If you're not familiar with The Doors, people are strange. Oh, Come on, baby, light my fire. Riders in the sky. Yeah. Break so, on through to the other side. I mean, The Doors were, I mean, it was The Doors. So, I mean, again, another great band that, that was unfortunately too short-lived. Um, by 1969, his drinking had become problematic and routinely made him late for performances. And drove him to wild on-stage behavior. I think um, probably best known for their performance on Ed Sullivan, where they were supposed to change the lyrics and everything, and he got right up in the camera and sang the original lyrics to Come On Baby, Light My Fire. I think they, they didn't want him to say something about getting higher. Yes. Was the implication, obviously. Yes. But and the I mean, lizard, as he, he called yeah, himself. the lizard uh, king. The lizard king. He got king. right up there in the camera. He wasn't going to be he wasn't gonna be reined in. Nobody's going to tell him what to do. So on July 3rd, 1971, he died due to a heart attack, apparently caused by a heroin overdose while living in Paris. Found him in the bathtub. And, and again, I mean, these are what we call the founding members of the 27 Club at this point in time. Well, again, you had mentioned one of the others. Um, his... M- death was also you can find several articles where it is alleged that it could have been a murder or foul play something else was involved well and apparently he had a longtime girlfriend that died not too long later yes. at the age of 27 yes i actually have her so. yep well as as bill was saying at this point 1969 to 1970 maybe 71 many of the musical legends that we first mentioned of the 27 club was born and it's speculated uh, origins and meanings you know, you've had Jimmy, Janice, and, and Jim. Uh, the three J's, as they're often referred to, seem to be too large of a loss to be ignored or understood. And I might add, looking again at the statistics and scientific data, as I already said, there's no sign of famous people, much less musicians, dying more so or less than the age of 27. Well, and again, when, any other year. When you look at that particular group and how they all passed, again, now a couple of them, there may have been some sinister you know, involvement, but, you know, drug overdose and, and, and whatnot. 
it seems abuse. like they just can't quite handle their fame and the pressure that comes with it, which is, is all too typical. We'll get to Kurt Cobain as we go through this, but it just seems like you have this level of celebrity. I think there's a good quote in an Ozzy Osbourne song, Ordinary Man. I was unprepared for fame and then everybody knew my name. You know, it was like, yeah. and at a certain point you can't escape it. And some people, okay, Berg, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about another celebrity. I saw an interview with Brock Lesnar. You know who Brock Lesnar is? Oh, the yes. Wrestler? Oh, yes. I saw an interview with him where he was talking about how uncomfortable he is around people. Now. You'd never know it. This guy performs in front of hundreds of thousands of people in, in live arenas and he's in millions of people on television every week. And he said he was talking. He goes, I can't handle people. He goes, I just. He goes, I can get out there and I can do that. But then I've got to take a week. To, to get ready for the next, you know, for the next Monday. He goes, I got to go to my ranch and I got to get away. He goes, because I, he goes, I, I, I can't stand being caught in an airport and people mobbing me and stuff. So, you know, celebrity. All the paparazzi chasing you around and. Some people do what they do because they like what they do, not because they want the fame. And I think the fame is, is probably, it's got to be hard to deal with. I mean. The fame itself is a drug. Doing our podcast, we certainly don't have to worry about fame. <laughs> you know, but, I, but if, if you constantly ran into people, Bray, Bray Wyatt, another wrestler, I saw mm-hmm. a video with him where he was getting on a bus with his two children, and this guy runs up and is trying to get him to take pictures and sign stuff, and it's like, this guy just wants to, to hang out with his kids, you yeah. know? Give him a break. Give him or a break. Eminem talks about it where he's at, you know, restaurants with his daughter and people run up. Or uh, was it Dave Chappelle? People running up and quoting, you know, I'm Rick James, bitch, while he's having dinner with his six-year-old. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, come on. I, I can't imagine that level of fame. And, I and don't think we'll have I to worry about it, Bill. I don't think it'd be easy to deal with. Not that I'm going to turn to drugs if I ever get there, but. <laughs> well, I have another member down. My 11th, actually, is, is Robert Pigpen McKernan, 1945 to 1973. Uh, this is one for you deadheads out there. Yeah. Because he was a founding member of the San Francisco band, The Grateful Dead. This psychedelic group fused rock, blues, jazz, and even country in with their own style, leading to what most would consider it being an improv band, where literally the group just got together, did their thing, and just embraced it all. Now, Robert Pigpen would play harmonica. He played the keyboards uh, while early on. In his mid-20s, his abuse with alcohol began to catch up with him, in particular his body. And in 1973, he was found dead of what was described as gastrointestinal hemorrhage. Uh, A year after his death in 1974, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, my number 12, Bill had already alluded to, Pamela Pamela Morrison Morrison. slash Morrison, if you will. In a strange coincidence, the girlfriend of Jim Morrison would later join him in the 27 Club just three years after Jim's death. Although they were never officially married, he was considered, uh, or she was considered by Jim and followers as Jim Morrison's wife. It was just kind of commonly accepted. They had dated for about five years, and it was Pamela that found Jim dead in the bathtub. Now, fast forward three years later, and Pamela would be found dead to uh, an overdose in her Hollywood home at the age of 27. Her original request was for her body to be buried next to Jim's in Paris, France. However, due to law and legislature at the time, it was impossible to take her body overseas to fulfill that wish. So she resides at Fairhaven Memorial Park in Orange County, California. On my list, number 13 was Pete Ham, 1947, uh, passed away in 1975, buried in southwestern Wales Morrison Cemetery. 
He was a popular songwriter and musician in the 70s, uh, known best probably as the front man and songwriter for the band Bad Finger. The band's origin started off as a group called the Ivies, which stemmed from the Apple label of none other than the Beatles, being their first band signed under that label name. They had a string of hits in the 70s, which included No Matter What, Day After Day, and Baby Blue. If there's any fans of the series Breaking Bad out there, the last you song might the remember show. the song Baby Blue in the last episode as a tribute. But in 1974, the band fell apart uh, in ruins after learning their manager had been stealing all of their money. They had nothing to show for their decades of hard work. Now, Pete Ham could not cope with the feeling of being a failure, and so he ended up taking his own life by hanging himself in his garage in 1975, a year after the band was demolished. Now, he left a suicide note directly implicating his manager for the cause of his death pointing to a full-blown investigation, which was later proven. My number 14 is Gary Thane. He's uh, buried in Southwest Middlesex Crematorium in London, England. Now, Gary was a New Zealand guitarist and musician, playing in many bands during his career. In 1972, he was asked, however, to join the band Uriah Heep, and he played in the band for the next three years, recording records such as Demons and Wizards. Now, the band's LP album covers are still highly collected today and known for their 70s psychedelic, colorful artwork. Uh, being a D&D player, I, I've seen some of these. They, def- they definitely get your attention. They look like they should be in a black light poster. I mean, definitely. Now, like many before him, Gary joined the 27 Club being uh, or due to a drug overdose uh, that in 1975 took his life at age 27. Seems drugs and alcohol do play a vital role in the deaths of many on the 27 Club. We jump to number 15, Chris Bell, being born 1951, passing away in 1978. He's buried in Memphis, Tennessee at the Memphis Cemetery, best known for co-founding a group called Big Star in 1971. Now, although he left the band only one year later in 1972, and he started his own solo career, his notable songs would be Speed of Sound, Elevator to Heaven, and You and Your Sister. He would be a pioneer of the early alternative rock, influencing a generation of artists in the coming decades. He died on December 27, 1978, when he lost control of his sports car after returning home from a band practice. In an eerie string of events, the car struck a wooden light pole, which in turn broke and then fell upon him and his car, crushing his body. Next, I have number 16. As we reach the 1980s, it is Dennis Dale Boone commonly known as D. Boone. He resides in Green Hills Memorial Park, Los Angeles, California. And in 1980, D. Boone founded the alternative rock group Minutemen. He was a singer, songwriter, and played guitar for the band. In their five-year career, they recorded four albums and eight EPs. Most popular songs was This Ain't No Picnic. And if you're a fan of the TV series Jackass, you might well recognize the song Corona as the theme song opening for each and every episode. This continued uh, until D. Boone's death in 1985, where he was killed in a van accident in the middle of the desert, kind of under uh, weird circumstances. Another tragic legacy to add yet another name to the 27 Club. Now, primarily we focused on musicians. I think you said you did mainly musicians. But I have found that this list has has grown, actually, to include people outside of just the music industry or people that were sort of tangentially related. You could argue that Jim Morrison's, you know, girlfriend Mm -hmm. 
not a musician herself, or maybe she was, I don't, I don't know, but again, on the list because of her relationship to, to Jim Morrison. So the next name I have, and, and you may not have him on yours, is John Michael Basquiat. I did come across him. Quite a popular artist. He was included. He, he was involved in the music industry, you know, albeit just a little bit. The year he turned 20, he became an, an art world celebrity. He was self-taught and born in Brooklyn, and he'd spent the late 70s painting graffiti around Soho. He would later on go on to collaborate with Andy Warhol, which, you know, I think major may be familiar with Andy Warhol and his kind of weird painting style, the Campbell soup hey, watch thing it and now. all that. Watch it. <laughs> hey, it's not my cup of tea, but this is me. Uh, he did go on to date Madonna and then would appear in Blondie's Rapture video. Love so that. Love was that. associated with the music industry. Now, as his fame increased, so did his taste for, you know, those illicit substances that we have touched on in almost every story so far in particular yeah and in 1988 he passed of what they call acute mixed drug intoxication which to me sounds like he just Man, whatever he could get mixer. his hands on now in 2017 i thought this was interesting one of his original paintings which was a graffiti skull uh sold for 110.5 million dollars setting a new record at the time for any american artist wow so that again Tying him to the 27 Club and possibly the alluded selling your soul for talent, uh, $110.5 million setting a record for artwork of an American artist. I jump on to my number 18, Pete De Fristis, I believe is the way you pronounce his name. Uh, buried in Oxfordshire, England, White Hill Burial Ground. He was a rock drummer remembered for playing with the group Echo and the Bunny Men. you got to love some of the names of these 70s. They, they actually uh, covered um, People Are Strange yes. by Jim Morrison. Yes. Their biggest hits was Killing Moon and Lips Like Sugar, which uh, they also used that reverb echo action that got the group uh, very well known. As you said, they were featured doing a cover of the Doors song, People Are Strange, that was actually on the original Lost Boys movie soundtrack. That's where I heard it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. On June 14th, 1989, Pete was riding his motorcycle on the way to London, where he collided with a vehicle, and uh, which he died immediately of his injuries. We jump to number 19 on my list, uh, Chris Austin. He was born 1964, passed away in 1991. Um, he is buried in Boone, North Carolina, at the Mount Lawn Memorial Park. He was a guitarist, singer, and songwriter, uh, also a member of Reba McIntyre's band. Uh, he also played for Ricky Skaggs, as well as a small solo career, charting three songs that hit the charts, including Blues, Stay Away From Me. But on March 16, 1991, Chris Austin was on a plane, along with several other members of Reba McIntyre's band and her road manager. Shortly after taking off the runway in San Diego, the plane struck a mountain, killing everyone that was on board. Reba was so devastated that she dedicated her next album, From My Broken Heart, to all of her bandmates that she lost in the tragedy. Now we jump to number 20 on my list, Amia Catherine Zapata. She resides in Louisville, Kentucky as her resting place. She was a member and vocalist of the group The Gets, who released two albums in the Seattle, Washington area. And in the early hours of July 7, 1993, Mia left a Seattle tavern and began to walk home. Around 3.30 a.m., her body was discovered and classified as a murder. The murder case went unsolved and cold for over a decade. Then, with new advances of science and DNA, the case was revisited, reopened, which led to the capture and conviction of her killer. In 2005, a documentary was made about the Getz, who featured, of course, Mia Catherine Zapata. 
Also in 1993, Reggie Lewis, small forward for the Boston Celtics, he died July 27th of a sudden heart attack on the court during an off-season practice. So that's tragic. And then we go to what I would say, like what I've referred to already, is sort kind of, of the, the re- reboot of the 27 Club. Rebirth, yeah. So you have Kurt Cobain in 1994. Now, I, I remember when Kurt Cobain passed. Of course, that was I had a friend who was very, very big into Nirvana in our high school years. And so when, when Kurt Cobain you know, passed away, that was, that was a big deal. I remember that being a big thing. Uh, of course, icon of the grunge music scene, he formed Nirvana in 1985. With drummer Dave Grohl, which you may know is the lead singer of Foo Fighters. Well, Dave, I think, was actually the third drummer for the group. They went through several different well, drummers. And they, and they may have. I, I myself, am not familiar, I'm not a big Nirvana fan, i got to be honest. But uh, And, of course, Dave Grohl, uh, mm-hmm. for me, best known as playing the devil oh, yes. in the Tenacious D <laughs> tribute video. <laughs> but the band achieved mainstream success in the early 90s. Now, Cobain obviously struggled with mental issues, chronic health problems, and addiction. He had his demons, and, and he suffered. He's one that I think kind of buckled under the pressure of fame. I don't think he was cut out for it. He committed suicide in April of 1994. Now, all the official sources say that it was suicide. There is, of course, the conspiracy theory that Courtney Love, sort of jealous of his fame and maybe trying to boost her own celebrity, yeah. had you know either killed him or had him murdered. Of course, the police report and all that, I think everything everything indicates that it was suicide. Single gunshot to the head. Yeah, and, and he left a, a, a note and all that. Now, the weird part was there, it was speculated that he died around April 5th, but his body took several days to be found. Now, with Kurt's death, the idea of the 27 Club kind of started to, to come back and uh, really started to take hold in the public mind, and people started associating it with the earlier batch when Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin passed away. Saying, you know, he died at age 27 and blah, 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 blah. According to Cobain's biographer, a Charles R. Cross, the growing importance of media, the internet, magazine, and television sort of helped fuel this. And also there was a response to an interview question by his mother that said that they kind of, like she said, and, and here's the quote, now he's gone and joined that stupid club. I told him not to join that stupid club. <laughs> now, what did she mean by that? He did have a couple of family members who had already committed suicide. Some oh, believe the suicide club. Some believe that she was referencing that that he had followed in their footsteps. But of course, culture and pop culture and you know the proliferation of media and all that, they started associating it with that 27 club. Right. He was 27, he died. And so, you know, it was just I mean, again, another tragic loss, a young artist, but it it seemed like he had his problems and his demons and and he sort of broke under the pressure of his own fame. Was was his mom talking about the other family members? She she probably wasn't talking about the Twenty Seven Club, to be honest. Right, right. Now I had down. Um, I thought this was kind of a fitting tribute. Just blocks away from his childhood home, obviously where he grew up, uh, the city erected a memorial park uh, dedicated to Kurt uh, near the Whiska River. It's a, uh, right there around and includes an area under the bridge where Kurt spoke of many times where he often spent much of his time and, and later stated he found much of his inspiration for his songwriting. The group was obviously a, a huge pivotal part of the new emerging music scene that would become known as grunge. The smash hit, as Bill mentioned, smell, uh, smells like teen spirit, which seemed to quench the big, big hair bands, which I grew up in the era of. Uh, and move fully forward into this new alternative rock music that's so accepted today. Other hits included Come As You Are, Heart Shaped Box, and All Apologies. Still get radio airtime, you know, 30 plus years later, yeah. still going strong. 
Uh, a portion of Kurt's ashes were spread into this beloved Wiska River, there by the Memorial Park, where it is said that his soul moves in and out with the tides twice daily. Other portions of Kurt's ashes were given to his wife, Courtney Love, and another portion to his daughter, Frances. Now, strangely enough, that same year, Kristen Pfaff, member of Courtney Love's band Hole, mm-hmm. would be found uh, dead of a heroin overdose in her bathtub. So, I mean, again, I'm not trying to implicate Courtney Love. Right. But it, it's coincidental. And ironically, when the, the group The Hole released the album, I think it was titled Live This, Live Through This. It was only two months after that. And, you know, Kristen hadn't really even experienced that satisfaction of, hey, I made it with the album. Uh, so just two months after the album released is when they found her dead to the opioid overdose. I've got uh, on my list, number 23, Patrick Hawkins, also known as Fat Pat. Uh, he resides in Paradise South Cemetery in Houston, Texas. Now, he was a popular rapper of the 1990s. I'm, I'm not a huge rap fan, but again, I was trying to get some people here that would relate to all of our listeners. He was an original member of a group called Screwed Up Click. Uh, they produced two of his albums in 1998, both after his death. However, they had been obviously been working on recording these up to that time. Now, Fat Pat had went to collect an appearance fee from a promoter who owed him money. On February 3rd, 1998, while doing so, he was shot and killed outside the apartment by what was described as an unknown assailant. Uh, his murder still remains unsolved. On my list, number 24, Dave Alexander. He was original bassist for the group The Stooges, a very influential proto-punk band with frontman Iggy Pop that some might remember the name of and be familiar with. He not only played bassist, but also wrote many of the group's songs. So again, you focused on musicians. I focused, you know, I, I broadened the scope a little bit. Sure. We have uh, actor Jonathan Brandis, who committed suicide in 2003 at the age of 27. Now, he wasn't probably too well known. Uh, he'd had some bit roles in soap operas and sitcoms, but I definitely learned who he was when he starred in the TV miniseries Stephen King's It as Stuttering Billy. The, the big brother that made the boat for little Georgie. Yes. So I had no idea who you were talking yeah. about until you said that. Uh, in 1993, at the age of 17, he got his big break when he became one of the stars of the series Sequest DSV. Mm-hmm. I remember Sequest. I do too. Uh, now, Sequest was canceled in 1996, and Brandis struggled to maintain his fame and his career after that. It's just things did not go super well. Uh, he was going to appear in the movie Hearts War with Bruce Willis in 2002. However, all of his scenes were cut before the release of the movie. Ouch. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah, we don't need you after all. Yeah. Uh, and a year later, he attempted suicide in his Los Angeles apartment and was later pronounced dead at Cedar sinai Hospital. I mean, I, I'm, Tragic. I'm familiar with his story. Uh, if you see his picture, you recognize him. I think he's been, he was in a lot of things. He was still a young, a young very boy, young I will man, say, yeah. in like Sequest and stuff. Yeah, already. he didn't seem very old at the time. Well, on my list, number 25, probably, as far as the musicians go, one of the best-known uh, latest members of the 27 Club would be Amy Winehouse, born in 1983, uh, passed away in 2011. She is buried in Edgebury Cemetery outside of London, England. Actually, her ashes are buried there with her grandmother by the name of Cynthia Levy. Obviously, uh, for those of you who may not know Amy Winehouse, she was an R&B artist. In 2010, she was... Uh, selected as the best new artist, and she was a top charter on many of her songs on in the United States as well as the UK. 
probably her best known song for all time was ironically Rehab. Yeah. Which that hit song uh, she was best known for was a bit too true as Amy suffered with substance abuse most of her entire life. She would pass away of blood and alcohol poisoning in July 23rd of 2011. And what's strange is not three years earlier, I guess, she had had a conversation or maybe an interview where she had expressed concern of, of becoming a member of the 27 Club. Oh, wow. She was worried that she would pass at 27. Here, It is haunting the, the possible future members as well. Yeah. They are well aware of it. So again, another actor here, we have Anton Yelchin. If uh, you're unfamiliar with Anton Yelchin... He plays Chekhov in the Star Trek reboot. Um, He was also in the reboot of Fright Night, which, you know, 80s vampire movie. The reboot has David Tennant in it, and I kind of like it. I'm a David Tennant fan, though, so anything he's in is usually pretty good. Doctor Who-ish. Not a Doctor Who fan, though. I know. I wasn't really either, but David Tennant is a great actor. From the years 2011 to 2015, Anton appeared in 18 films, and this doesn't include any voiceover work that he did at the time. Uh, many in the film industry felt that his career was only getting started, and he appeared in films ranging from artistic indie films to blockbusters like Star Trek. I mean, the guy he had nailed range. Chekhov. Yeah, he was that, perfect. Oh, perfect, absolutely perfect. Uh, he dies in a freak accident when he when he's he gets out. He he pull, he pulls up to his house. He gets out to go check his mail and check the gate. I guess to unlock the gate. When his Jeep Grand Cherokee rolls into him and pins him against a, a pillar, pillar yeah. and, and the security fence. And kills him. Now, this I do know that this led to recalls on the Jeep Grand Cherokees. Because apparently his parking brake had failed. You know, some people could say, well, maybe he put it in neutral. Maybe he didn't park it right. No, he he his his parking brake failed. Well, and on the pictures that I saw, there was there was a, a slope. Yeah, I, I won't yeah, say it was, it was, on was an like incline. a gradual. It, there was there was definitely a, a slope to it, but, but just a just a freak accident. And 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 you then know, I mean, you got you got to wonder. It probably didn't kill him immediately. No, you, you would know, think that not. Poor guy, he was probably, probably trying to scream for a while. And what he, if he could get the air to scream, what a way to go. Terrible. So we talk about people tangentially related to the music industry. Mm-hmm. I have here Benjamin Keough, Elvis Presley's grandson, who died July 12th, 2020 by apparent suicide. Yes. So he's the last person I have on my list. I think you've already covered the last one on your list. Yep. You know, we have these these artists, these people, these... You know, for the most part, all of these people seem to have just amazing careers ahead of them, and they survived. And again, I I think like with Kurt Cobain, like I said, I think they just broke under the pressure of fame for a lot of them. Well, and some may argue, well, you know, you guys mentioned several people I've never heard of. Well, the the fact of the matter is, I wasn't even around during some of these. So you, you have to consider, not only weren't we maybe around to experience it firsthand, but Maybe not the particular song or thing that they did, but because they did something a different way, they inspired other artists moving forward, which would change the world. So you kind of got to open your mind up and well, think about yeah, that we, a little we bit. We can't be expected to know every musician and film actor or whatever. I, I, you know, the, the, the painter is John Michael guy. I didn't, I mean, obviously I'm not a, I had never heard not of an him. art guy. Never heard of him. But, you know, if you if you get to say, stand shoulder to shoulder with Andy Warhol, you must be someone. Yeah, definitely. That guy was definitely involved in, in all kinds of things in his time. So I think it's time for... Headliners. Nightmare Headlines. My headliner um, was in the, just kind of a reference mention, in the 2016 video game Hitman. One of the in-game missions is... Club 27, which involves killing an indie musician who's celebrating his 27th birthday. 
So again, it just kind of goes to show that it's 27 Club. I mean, it, it's mentioned in so many songs and lyrics. Uh, here, even a video game reference. Uh, it's mentioned in comics and countless TV series. It's, it is a part of our culture. Another little tidbit, we very recently, sadly, lost Lisa Marie Presley. And of course, that is Elvis and Priscilla Presley's uh, daughter. She was the age of 54, which ironically, in a strange turn of events, if you take 27 of the 27 club and multiply it by two, you get the age of 54. Well, I have from The Independent on January 23rd, 2023, so not that long ago. Not long ago at all. It wasn't fate, it was glee. Why do we look for curses and conspiracies and celebrity deaths? And a new documentary series asked the question, was the cast of glee cursed? And this article started out with the author talking about being at a party when they had found out that Amy Winehouse had died. And people were talking and having conversation when somebody commented, well, you know, she was 27. She was just joining the 27 just Club. Accepted. And everybody sort of nodded as if that made sense. And, and so the author goes on to talk about, you know, the 27 Club is just as real as the rule of three. If you're not familiar with the rule of three, yes. states that when a celebrity dies, two more celebrities are going to pass away, you know, very soon. In our family, honestly, we've even noticed that with non-celebrities. It's just like funerals yeah. seem to go in pairs of three. Now, of course, the, the rule of three started, believed is believed to have started when Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper died in a together in a plane crash in 1959. Now, this pattern has played out many times since then where you have three celebrities passing in, in rapid succession. Uh, a good example, 2016, when George Michael, Carrie Fisher, and Debbie Reynolds all died within just days of each other. But a more recent example of this has become the curse of Glee. And so this, this documentary, documentary series kind of examines that and focuses on the untimely deaths of three of the stars of the show. Corey Monteith, who played Finn, who died from a drug overdose at age 31 in 2013, while the show was still on the air. Uh, Mark Salling, who played Puck, who died by suicide at age 35 in 2018, just before scheduled sentencing in a drug pornography case, which, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, hey. And then Naya Rivera, who played Santana, who accidentally drowned in th at age 33 in 2020. These three closely placed deaths led people to believe there was a curse on the cast of Glee. Now, was there, I mean, there were so many other people who worked on Glee. Right, right. And, and those are the only three that, yeah, I mean, it was easy to, Everybody to, else to escaped, put it together. But. So psychologist Natasha Tawari says, belief in curses fulfills our need as people to make sense of an otherwise senseless tragedy. For example, we don't have an 87 club right. because you expect people to pass away when they get older. It's just more of a way for us to make sense of those who pass too young. Uh, now, music biographer James Court, he was author of a book entitled The 27 Club. He says he feels that this is a way to keep those people alive by their inclusion in these stories. And we're still referencing them. We're still talking about them. We're keeping them current. And so we've sort of continued them on. He also went on to say that he feels that when famous people die young tragically, it's usually in part due to the cruelties of fame and pressure. And here I have a quote by him. What all the main six members of the 27 Club have in common is immense fame really early in life, a crazy amount of pressure, people around them making bad choices, and all of them having unhealthy coping mechanisms. The club is not so much a conspiracy theory or a curse as it is a real-life cautionary tale. Well put. So, you know, the tragedy of fame, the 27 Club, um, again, I think we said, you know, if you look at the numbers, most famous people actually die in their 50s, so, which still seems kind of young for some folks, but you know, what's, what's life expectancy these days? 70-something? Uh, pushing so, probably 74, 75. So if you look at the averages, 
Well, we hope that you've enjoyed yet another installment that you'll find here on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. And whether you believe in curses or not, hang close. Stay away from those crossroads. Thanks for listening. With some international notoriety, notoriety, international notoriety, um, notary? Within a very short time, death claimed him with doctors attributing it to a several, uh, a several, con- I can't talk cerebral. today. Thank you. Attributing it to a cerebral conjecture. That's about takes this time around. Okay. To have exchanged his soul for great talent and blues. I'm going to blame your son yeah. for that. He's alleged to have sold his soul for great talent. I'm going to blame your son for that yeah, also. That's, that's my fault. <laughs> well, if I'd have brought my, my stuff, that's <laughs> on me. Got your thumb drive, Bill. So, Thank you, sir. It was next to King Kong. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll give him a couple minutes to get out the door. You know, we talk about people sort of chan- tangentially. I like that word. Tangentially? Tangentially related to the music engine. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of bloopers yeah. on this one. Tangentially related to the music injury. <laughs> injury. <laughs> now I'm just doing what you're Okay. Yeah. It's contagious, Bill. I'm sorry. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, final records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for again supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me (laughs) and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.